All right. I'm here with Matthias Kren, um, yes. who is currently based in Sunnyvale, California. Welcome, Matthias, to the to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm pretty excited slash nervous. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, you, you might hear from our accents that we're both not native English speakers, but um, we're what are doing you saying? Way. What are you talking about? I have no accent I'm... whatsoever. No, no, I was talking about my accent. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're both native German speakers, but for you guys, we're doing this in English. This is the ded dedication. No, um, so uh, Matthias, we'll talk a little bit about um, VR and AR in general, um, as usual on this podcast. But um, I reached out to you on Twitter actually because I saw your project um, VR OS, which I, I think is pretty cool. And then I started looking up what you do, um, and um, you're a um, user interface designer and and um, design yep. user interfaces for new types of um, technologies. Is that is that correct? Yes, that is my. Um very awkward Twitter bio that I try, um, that I keep trying to, um, <laughs> refine. Um, uh, I, I'm having a bit of a hard time describing it concisely what it is that I think, um, I'm specifically focusing on with my work, but ultimately it boils down to trying to make interfaces for experiences or products or things that other people haven't really looked at yet too much or that are maybe putting a new twist on things, um, you know, things that could be as unique as, yeah, my um, kind of experimental car interface from something like six years ago or VROS, which is arguably building a lot on existing UI paradigms, but kind of putting it into a new context and looking at it from, you know, from the immersive um yeah, kind of from a immersive angle, um, and yeah. So I don't know what else to call that. It's it's just kind of new, experimental, weird interfaces. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I think it's a good description to be honest. Um, you you also spent before we get to VROS, um, just quickly. Sure, you also yeah. spent like six or seven years at Apple, and um, five years. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, five years. And is there anything that you designed that you know the people out there use every day, or that we know? Can you talk quickly about this? Uh, sure, I can. I can. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to give you a little bit of a background. I guess. Um, I so as you were saying, I'm a native German speaker. I come from Austria. I moved to America 11 years ago. Um, kind of just stumbled into the Silicon Valley Bay Area. Um, I uh, studied in Austria, and when I was done, I just kind of wanted to go far away. Um, so, so did my then girlfriend, now wife, um, and uh, so we just. Uh, she was actually she finished school a little bit earlier than me, so she kind of got to pick San Francisco for her. There was an interesting opportunity here in a design company, um, and uh, and I just kind of followed her. She made it quite easy for me to come because things were, you know, the path was already paved a little bit. Um, and even though I studied industrial design, I just started working on software tech stuff here. Um, I was always into programming. I was always into experimenting with interfaces. So uh, especially 2008 or nine, now I don't even, yeah, 2009 is when I came over. 
um, things were hard economy-wise, uh, and not so many people were looking for industrial designers. So I ended up becoming an interaction designer, um, and then very kind of fortunately stumbled into like a really interesting opportunity at Apple, um, working on a team that does kind of experimental, you know, design for new experiences, for new products, for new technologies that kind of emerge inside the company. Um, and um, yeah, so there I didn't, so uh, how do I describe this? Yeah, the, the team is not specifically meant to ship anything necessarily. Uh, the function of the team there is to, um, it's actually a team that's embedded in the hardware org. Um, and it's much more focused on seeing what types of new technologies kind of become more um, useful and more real within the company uh, that are kind of emerging. And, um, and then being the first ones to look at, okay, what could we do with these types of technologies? Um, whether it's new software algorithms, whether it's new um, hardware, new sensors, new display technologies, etc. Pretty much anything you can imagine, really. Um, sorry. And we, um, you know, we would take these technologies or at least even just the descriptions of these technologies or these opportunities and we would say, okay, what type of experiences do we think are uh, interesting here? Um, what is something that could we could do that we really believe could be interesting for users, for people? Um, and uh, what would people inside the company find interesting to put more momentum behind? Sometimes it would also, you know, sometimes it would be completely self-directed projects as well, just things that we thought, oh, this is an interesting emerging area. Um, culturally, this is something that could be interesting and so on and so on. So really, the projects could come from anywhere. Um, and because we were often the first ones to put a pass on some, uh, uh, to, you know, try something out um, or, you know, to deliberately come in to maybe give a bit of an alternative angle on something that, I don't know, has um, that we've started taking for granted in one way and we wanted to see if we could shake things up a little bit. Uh, and so we would do that. But consequentially, we wouldn't necessarily be the ones pushing something out the door always or, you know, hardly ever, which is completely okay. You know, um, you can't, uh, I don't think it would really scale necessarily if you always had the same people take something from the very, very first possible idea all the way to shipping. Because very often there's like five years between, you know, in there or, you know, any number of years really. Um, and it's really hard for a single team to maintain so many projects that are so young and then go so mature because there's so many steps involved and so many different teams that you would have to collaborate with inside the company that you'd just be managing 50 projects for five years, you know? Um, so that would be pretty uh, brutal. 
but that being said, um, you know, long story short, uh, you could say that I worked on an emoji, dual cameras, face ID, um, swipe up to home, all kinds of, you know, things that were at one point in our hands on our screens that we maybe have built interesting experiments around or first taken first design passes at um, and then you know hopefully we're able to show other people in the company that there is potential behind something and even if all it did was inspire people to say oh hey let's put another five engineers on this to try to develop a certain technology a little bit further or um you know, more, you know, other designers being interested and picking it up. And even if they would take it to a totally different direction, that would be completely okay. And so um, so the final result of a lot of things that shipped that I had at least partially worked on maybe doesn't look at all what, you know, my team had um, had done or proposed or, you know, just played with. But it still helped to um, kind of show people where there is potential or maybe inspire them to think about a problem in a different way or simply just provide another interesting alternative. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so in a way, did I ship a lot of things there? No. Um, did I influence a lot of things? I hope yes. You know, so in a way, it's it's nothing and it's a lot. That's pretty cool. I mean, um, like the things that you mentioned, like an emoji and swipe up to home. It's, um, I mean, those are pretty cool things, I guess. And also like the, I kind of like, like the setup of the team that, you know, just can, I mean, I guess it's still a serious work, but you, it sounded like you had a lot of creative freedom to um, pursue things that, um, you know, what it wasn't necessarily clear that okay this needs to be to make this and this much money after five years or else you know you failed and um it's it sounds you know it sounds a little bit like um what what people were doing at the at the xerox labs or you know in the bell labs back in the days where um where they came also up with with a lot of new user interfaces and and stuff like that you know is that is it a fair comparison or is that is that is that correct? So I think generally speaking, yeah, I think it's a, it's a fair comparison. I, I don't know whether I would necessarily put it, you know, side by side with like Xerox Park, just because I'm not sure what their, you know, kind of business reasons were to, you know, investigate certain projects, et cetera, um, or kind of their their desire to turn, you know, some of the work into money or, you know, whether they were fine with, you know, not necessarily everything and ending up being a viable business in a way. Um, and, uh, you know, for Apple, of course, the, the ultimate goal is always that um, it becomes part of the, the big products, you know, that people love and people want to buy and own and, you know, for, for many, many years. Um, and every small, interesting feature can become part of that. It doesn't always, of course, also doesn't have to, every new idea doesn't have to be a new product category in itself. 
Um, but uh, it is definitely true that we had a lot of freedom um, to, you know, to explore and to be not too worried about, okay, what is the next release specifically? How do we have to strategically position certain explorations that we make so that they fit into other things? We could very often explore things quite detached from what else was happening necessarily. However, we always, you know, as I think as reasonable, good designers, um, we would of course always have to take the the context of the products and just of society and the culture and you know and the business, etc., into consideration when we were making things. We always wanted to make things that we truly believed could be something cool, you know, cool, useful, inspiring, you know, uh, creatively enabling or whatever. Um, we didn't just want to make things that are total pie in the sky dreams that we didn't necessarily believe ourselves would become reality. Um, and um, so, yeah, we, you know, uh, it's definitely sounds um, like kind of a dream position. Um, it does definitely come with its own challenges for sure, which is if you have a lot of freedom, you have a lot of potential for feeling kind of lost or not really knowing where to start, where to take something. Um, you, you know, often pick up a project when it's just a very nebulous, fuzzy, um, you know, kind of, you know, there might, you might be building on the work that somebody else did previously, but they might have done that work in an extremely different context. Like it might have been an electrical engineer building a new sensor that could now, because of some new innovations, be built into any type of product. And you're just like, okay, well, I understand what the sensor can sense, but, you know, that is all the information that you have. And you have to yourself turn that into, you have to go from a signal that you can basically read on an oscilloscope. You have to go and take that and turn it into a story and into user experiences that are somehow valid and interesting, you know? And so... It's definitely you have to be able to take that and kind of via self-initiative um, build something from nothing really, and you have to be okay with that. Um, it's it's not enough to say, oh well, I know how to design apps on an iPhone, so I'm just gonna make a new app and it's gonna have a you know a login screen here and the tab bar there, and and it's not uh, and not that that's easy. Because I, you know, wouldn't necessarily be the right person to do that job, um, and uh, you know, it's just it's a different challenge, and um, it comes with its ups yeah. and it, with its downs for sure. Yeah, that's sounds interesting, though. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. So, and then, you know, moving on after you. You yes, right. Apple. Uh, then I left Apple, <laughs> and then I went to my garage and started uh, working on a couple of random projects, and one of them turned into VROS. Yeah. Was your goal like? Was your goal okay? Just to say, okay, I want to do so something on my own, 
to leave Apple and then and then um I mean like how did you you know like because I mean you'll tell us more about VROS but my understanding is currently um no I ask it later but um tell us a little bit sure. how VROS yeah. what it is and how it works and then we'll get into the details sure uh, my motivation was um was definitely uh it was a combination of kind of some personal things that were going on like outside of work um where um leaving my full-time employment was helpful to to be able to be more flexible to take care of some stuff um and but it was also um you know that wasn't just an obstacle you know it wasn't just a sacrifice it was also i also saw it as an opportunity professionally to say i can step aside um completely detach myself from like the schedules and from kind of the bigger context of the company and um and really discover whatever i might want to you know pursue just by starting to look at technologies and certain things that i wanted to learn that i just wanted to spend some time on learning on my own pace you know without any sort of pressure from anyone to say like oh you know we need to we need to demo this thing over here so it would be good to have something and then you know and then you're spending a lot of time working on the demo instead of you know necessarily just sitting there and you know spending three weeks producing nothing just because you're learning new ways to do something or you know so i was mm-hmm. excited about learning i was excited about certain technologies um you know being you know for example vr unity that kind of stuff um and so you know i just saw like a moment where i felt like um i you know it presented itself and and i saw it as a positive to just be able to kind of detach myself and um and just have self-initiative on you know and work on something um yeah and so mm-hmm. i literally you know put a little desk in a really uncomfortable chair in my garage uh-huh. and um and that's where i'm sitting right now as well um <laughs> and uh and now you know weirdly enough it it turned from this kind of um not really super necessary um you know garage home office into a okay um quarantine home office that everybody has anyway <laughs> or like i mean that everybody kind of has to figure out how to do so the fact that i'm sitting here next to the washing machine is just that's kind of just <laughs> normal now i think um and i mean i also feel lucky that i just have my own space where i can actually hide away from you know the kids and everything else that's going on um <laughs> and um yeah so you know that's how it started and um again i experimented with a few things but i was really interested in this area of vr i wanted to learn unity more you know like i wanted to get better at unity um and i thought i had you know this idea for like a really simple premise which is just um what if i have traditional 2d apps inside of an immersive environment and that was really just kind of the starting point from there on i kind of really built it in like in a way in very logical steps you know if you if i have if 2d windows floating around here i'm gonna need a place where i can launch them from and 
I need my, you know, input device to control things and maybe a mouse works well. Oh yeah, it looks good. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of just right. went step by step and it grew from there. And so how did you, uh, were you using VR before? Like, I mean, were you a gamer or like, you know, is that, how did you come up with the VR idea? Um, so I was definitely a gamer, but uh, it's kind of a long time ago because I had to make a very conscious decision, a very deliberate decision that I needed to stop being a gamer so that I could be, <laughs> so I could be productive at anything else. Um, yeah, same story with me. Yeah, it was uh, eating a lot of my time. Now I'm just trying to make my daughter be a gamer so I have an excuse to play with her. It's like, you know, perfect. can't help it. Um, and uh, so, you know, so that's definitely in my, you know, in my blood somehow. Um, and, uh, but I never, honestly, I never saw VR as a gaming thing at all. Um, and the reason why I started getting interested in it actually was, you know, it was just during the hype of VR somehow. Like, I, so I observed, you know, how Oculus got started, of course, how, you know, DK2 was becoming more available. Um, I was just interested in the experiments that people had. I was interested in trying some of the experiences out. Um, but I also was, you know, how do I put this? Um, I was very curious, let's say, about this angle that I saw in VR that nobody else was really pursuing. And that was, you know, VR just being the monitor for your computer, as opposed to VR being this whole um, huge thing. Um, and, you know, I would try, so, you know, over the last year or two, when I been trying to explain to people what I've been trying to do with VROS is um, for me, VROS is not at all about VR and it's all about operating systems. Um, the only reason why it's VR is because that is the display mechanism. Um, but for me, that's the VR headset is a replacement for the monitor and that's it. Right, all the design decisions, all the interface decisions I made are required almost because uh, of what happens when you put your monitor on your face. You know, the moment you start seeing in stereoscopic vision in there, the moment you can look around in the environment and you're surrounded by your work environment, that moment you have to find a lot of new solutions for your operating system. You just can't just take Windows or Mac OS and just like stick it in there. You don't even, you know, you don't, don't have any monitor borders. So you, the first thing you're missing is like, where do I put my dock? I don't have a bottom frame for my monitor, right? And so, um, yeah, so for me, VR, I was really interested in that part of VR. I wasn't so interested in, you know, these kind of uh, six DOF controllers into the room scale um, experiments, etc. Especially because everybody else was doing that, you know. So, and I think some of them are super interesting, and I think some of them have really interesting, valid um, applications for the future. Um, but 
for me personally, I was actually more interested in looking at, okay, well, how do I use my computer all day? What is actually kind of physiologically comfortable to do for many hours a day? Um, what are all the apps that I need to be creative on my computer to do things? And, you know, I sit, um, I have my wrists sitting on the surface of my table because it's nice to have your arms supported. Um, I use a lot of 2D apps because I create a lot of 2D content still, you know, a lot of media is still 2D. Um, and, uh, you know, I like emails and messaging and stuff like that. Uh, and so I was just, uh, yeah, I was just really interested in that huge hole that nobody else was looking at. And um, I wanted to get into it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Do, do you, so how do you see, you know, do you, now first of all, is it possible to already use VR OS as a user or are you just using it for yourself right now? Um, so it's, um, I mean, you could, I could probably, I could p package it up and put it on, I don't know, the internet. I don't know if you have to publish something via Steam or however that works. I, I never even try that. Um, but, you know, I could put it out there. And so people could probably, people could run it um, and they would be missing two very important components, which is that they couldn't see their input devices because not everybody has the same like custom tracking setup that I built for that. Um, mm -hmm. So you could, you know, if you were, you know, just found the position of your mouse and kept your hand on it and your keyboard, you'd be fine. Um, and then you could just use all the kind of static fake content and move that around to see, to experience what it would feel like to be in this operating system. If you okay. were, you know, like if you were willing to suspend the disbelief about you know, the fact that this is not a real thing, that you cannot actually go and now like start writing emails in this email app because it's not a functioning email app. You know, it's a screenshot of an email app that I like to, you know, that I just took from my laptop. Um, and so, you know, when people ask me if it's a real thing, I say, well, it's an attempt at making a real interface for an operating system. And it's a real attempt to, you know, learn and to see what it feels like to use this type of an interface in an immersive environment, but it's not real in the way that you can put this on and now you can start writing your emails and doing your Excel spreadsheets and browsing the web and listening to music, et cetera. Okay, Unfortunately, I see. Yeah. Yeah, is that, is that a goal of yours to make it make it like a, a real thing or is it, where will you, I mean, do you know already? So, uh, Anything that I have um, understood from, you know, kind of the things that I heard and read over the past and also from what I have been talking to people about, you know, more recently, um, while it's possible to get like one or two live views onto a window um, into, um, you know, kind of piping that into a virtual reality environment. And there are apps that do that, right? Um, right. You can get, I think, 
something's called virtual desktop. I mean, even the, yeah. I think the new Quest UI has, no, wait, the Quest UI has browsers, I guess, browsers built in. So that's a good start, right? Um, yeah. But it's not like you can just start Photoshopping in there. Um, and so then I also understand not because i'm an expert at it but because it seems fairly obvious that just like writing an actually functioning operating system that would be compatible with you know apps um it would be a a a big task (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so um and that's not at all kind of what is what i find you know, too appealing in that whole exploration. Um, and I don't really have the desire to try to build this into some sort of business. Um, I, you know, another problem is that the hardware is not good enough. Um, the head-mounted displays are um, almost by a factor three or four um, too low in resolution to see um, to be able to read text and see other more refined um, visual details the way that you would be seeing them, you know, on a reasonably good monitor today. Um, so I think, you know, uh, don't quote me on these numbers, but uh, I think uh, the Vive Pro that I've used to make this, um, which is at the higher end of resolution um, has something like, I'll just say 12, maybe it's 15, you know, um, pixels per degree of field of view. Um, And uh, I think when you sit in front of a, you know, like the good old like Apple monitors, the cinema displays before they Mm. were retina, I think they were something like more like 40 depending on like how close you sit, of course, right? Like if you go far away, yeah. then then they have a lot of pixels per degree. <laughs> but if you get closer, yeah. um, that number is, of course, relative. Um, and so you can see like even with like an older monitor, um, HMDs are still so incredibly far away. And it just means that something like smaller text ends up being so low in resolution that you just can't read it. Um, and so... You know, trying to make this into a legitimate, um, say, quote unquote, operating system um, right now is, you know, almost pointless. I guess it would take me five years to do anyway, at least, right? So by then, maybe the hardware would be a little bit better. Um, But it seems unwise to try to build um, a business where you already know, okay, so I'm going to have to compete with macOS and Windows, and then I'm going to have to like build my own high-resolution head-mounted displays. Um, Honestly, I was just interested in making this because nobody else did, uh, and, uh, and just putting it out there and see what type of opportunities come from that, you know? Mm -hmm. It's definitely a space that I'm still interested in. And so, um, you know, and and so in that way, it feels like, you know, there's the saying that you get the work that you do. And I found that to be quite true in the past. And so by putting something like this out there, I know that the right people are going to notice and they're going to, you know, start talking to me and and then we can take it from there. Yeah. No, I I mean, that's, that's definitely true, I guess. It's interesting 
to to see um yeah i mean like for me it's interesting i watch all the the videos and and it's interesting to see how you bring in the the hands and the keyboard also into vr i guess um by just um filming the hands and the keyboard with a camera right and then um and then um, using that video to display it in in vr yeah totally um that um that was a, a pretty fun contraption to build um i wasn't really sure what i was going to be able to do it but it just kind of <laughs> grew as an idea um i knew that you know typing you can't reasonably um have somebody try typing without seeing their hands it's not everybody's good enough at that um and uh you know there was there was the other option of of course using actual hand tracking and showing the hands um you know via what it would be a leap motion is it called leap motion yeah um you know a leap yeah. motion or i mean nowadays you could probably take uh, a quest and use the built-in hand tracking to somehow have that be intermixed with um with everything else that uh, you're doing or that i'm doing um but uh i i didn't really as so you know the quest technology wasn't ready for for right. me back then um and uh i didn't really want to uh mess around with the leap mo motion because i didn't necessarily wanted to learn that part um at the moment where i was already kind of like into building the thing um just because i didn't feel like it was one more component that i needed i i kind of had an idea of how i would solve it with a camera and i had no idea what um, development effort it would take to solve it with the leap motion i also know yeah. that leap motion has limited field of view and i kind of knew that i just needed to see my hands on the keyboard so i thought it was kind of a really interesting charming way of solving it pretending like oh there's these magical sensors in the keyboard and they can just feel where your hands are you know, and then, wow, <laughs> turns out it works really, really well. Even if the depiction of your hands is 2D, you don't care because you just, your reference point is this flat keyboard anyway, and it's totally fine. From your point of view, it just feels like it's your hands. Um, it's pretty, it's actually pretty cool how, how well that ended up working. Um, and you don't need to see your hand to grab your mouse, turns out. And, uh, and that's it. That's all you do. Right <laughs> now, you of course we can talk about you know mixed reality, augmented reality, all those things. Like, how do you drink from your cup of coffee while you're in there? All of those things I just completely ignored. Um, didn't yeah, really sure. have the technology available, um, and you know that's for another day to to investigate. Um, yeah, but yeah. And and do you think that you know looking more into the future now that um kind of like VR headsets or some kind of combination of AR and VR headsets will replace laptops and, and smartphones in, you know, X number of years. Yeah. So, um, and that's, of course, that's like a, actually a huge question, like packed into a very, just few words. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, what I was looking at with VROS, one of the really amazing um 
aspects is how every time you put in your head every time you put on your headset you're immediately surrounded by your essentially your office exactly the way that you left it the last time you took off the headset right and so uh, no matter how intricate you built up your environment no matter how many apps you have open you know no matter how many things you're kind of keeping track on no matter how you maybe customized the environment that you're sitting in and so on and so on every time you put that on it doesn't matter if you're sitting and you know in the most you know depressingly uh you know untidy garage like i do right now or whether you're sitting you know in a you know in a nicer home office or if you're sitting in a tiny room because you know it's quarantine time and you know you just you're just like trying to make do in your home um and uh the moment you put that on you're back being 100% like as productive as anywhere else right and so to me that was such a powerful thing to kind of to experience and to learn and i guess this is a good place to say i didn't start this project with this finished drawing of what i wanted to build right i didn't start this project having clear conviction and a perfectly articulated vision of what every aspect of it is going to look like and what it's going to feel like i literally started with an empty room took a couple of screenshots of some 2d apps put it in front of me and started looking at okay how does that feel you know what's the next thing i need to build and so on and so on and so one really important moment was actually um building the prototype in a sophisticated enough way so that it would um reasonably remember where i left things the last time i um tested the prototype so that i wouldn't even every time i would test you know basically in unity you hit play and then you put on your hmd and then you start you know trying things out um and for the longest time i had things set up in a way where every time i would play i would start you know testing i would have to then first manually arrange all the content so that i could make myself believe that oh you know this is how i left my office the last time and then i finally went yeah. and put the work in to say okay this thing is now going to remember where i left things more or less and so every time i would test every time i would put on the hmd i would just be back where i was and even though i built the prototype i was still so surprised by how much <laughs> of a difference in feeling that made you know um because suddenly i believed that this was a real thing this was the office that i went to again and again and again to try things out um and so imagine this was possible in a form factor of you know you know what if your laptop is just this thing that you carry around for compute power and then you just plug in your hmd wherever you are and wherever you are you're in your office whether you're you know a day trader with like seven bloomberg terminal <laughs> displays in front of you or whether you're the operator of some crazy machinery and you have to like you know keep tabs on a control unit that's the size of a room usually that would have to be custom built for you or whether you're just you know like i don't know whether you're a designer and you're just like drawing your icons 
um, in a 2D app and on the side you're watching a YouTube video, you know, but that thing is just there and you can turn off the lights and make the video big and just kind of draw your icons in the foreground a little bit or, you know, you know, whatever you want to do, but you get to go back to it no matter where you are. So honestly, I don't see how that isn't the future. Like, I don't see how <laughs> if HMDs, or I should say when HMDs, because I also don't believe that HMDs will never be there. You know, HMDs will get there yeah. eventually, whatever. If it's 10 years, it's 10 years. I don't care. Like, you know, the future is very long. Um, and at <laughs> some point, HMDs are going to be comfortable enough and high quality enough that you can put them on and then you're going to be able to do anything with them or on them that you can do on a computer today. And I don't see why, if the hardware gets there, why people would just say like, yeah, but you know, I'm only using them for roller coaster simulator. <laughs> right like there's no reason why that should be a limitation uh and so the moment you remove like the need of this like well-built physical office space well then you can just do it so uh i really don't see why this wouldn't be at least partially the future it's just it's just that good software has to be made for it you know good operating yeah. systems because the software honestly we already have anyway um a lot of the software yeah. can just remain 2d it's totally fine um never need my excel spreadsheet to be a thing that i can uh you know spatially explore <laughs> by walking in between the cells you know that's actually a good point because i've been thinking about about this a lot um you know okay let, let's say we have a future where a lot of people just work in a VR headset and not on their 2D screen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what will happen? Uh, just example you just said with like Excel yeah. spreadsheet or emails, will we just have them in 2D? But for example, as seen on your videos, kind of like on a curved big screen in front of us, or do you think we'll actually see new ways of dealing with information or new ways of productivity that you know, we also before before 2D screens didn't have, where we just had yeah. like pen and paper basically. Any thoughts on that? I can't like if I try to think about this, my brain um, stops working. I can't <laughs> continue. <laughs> I so to me, it's um, it's actually a really simple answer. Um, it's it's not a very you know. It's not a super insightful answer, maybe. You know, it's not something with concrete ideas. But to me, there is um, there's an ideal way of interacting with different software, with different um, tools, with different uh, media. Um, there are certain uh, media that are quite naturally and very logically maybe only 2D. There are certain media that make a lot of sense in 3D. Um, people just have to um, be okay and honest with themselves um, that uh, to say, it's totally fine if this thing just remains the way that it was. But maybe with some additional mm -hmm. things that are convenient or cool or whatever, you know? 
like if I if I take an email, right? Let's take email. Um, everybody can relate to email. Now, the fact that um, you know what? No, let's take music. Let's take Spotify. Mm -hmm. You know, this. All right. From what I know, this podcast is not sponsored by Spotify. Maybe no. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so Spotify um, is a tool. It's a rectangle on your computer or on your phone. Let's talk about the computer. It's a rectangle on your computer that has a bunch of lists of the entire music library in the world, more or less. Right? That's crazy. And how yeah. amazing that you can search and browse and interact with that through something as simple as, oh, I just click on this box here that I type in a word and then like a huge list of uh, music appears and I can click on it and it starts playing. <laughs> and, you know, if I want to, I can organize it in lists, blah, blah, blah. Now, if you made me get up and walk through virtual uh, shelves of a record store, you know, and I have to reach up and grab a thing and then put it on a record player, etc. Like, I understand why that would be funny somehow, um, maybe like once or twice. And I understand how that could potentially be an additional mode to help you maybe explore new music in a more expressive way that you didn't, you know, have before. But ultimately, when it comes to, let me just listen to some music, give me quick access to my playlists, boom, 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 you know, it's so, it's such an achievement to stick all this insane work and technology and powerful resources that makes Spotify work, right? And then to just funnel that into this simple rectangle that you see on your screen, that's a huge achievement. That's not necessarily just a, you know, a sad, um, you know, limited expression of what, you know, access to music should really be. No doubt that it can grow into something else, but there is no reason why we should say, oh, you know what? Spotify is not good on VR until it's a room scale experience. Yeah. It's totally fine if it just starts 2D. And so our emails and so is Excel spreadsheets and so is looking at 2D photos on Google Photos, right? Like, it's totally okay that that's 2D. <laughs> I don't have to yeah. like swim through my photos that are inherently 2D anyway. Um, and so most likely, if you think about, you know, all the content that is still just 2D in the world, um, most likely all this content is not gonna have been reinvented on day one of... HMDs becoming good enough to, uh, you know, be used as like real computers. And, uh, you know, think of all the websites in the world, right? Nobody is going to go and just like make a VR version, a three-dimensional spatial immersive version of every single website out there for you to explore. So 
the fact that a browser is still going to have to be a flat rectangle often is is totally okay. Yeah. You know, you were talking about pen and paper earlier and that's just like people writing something down in a 2D like in two dimensions and now when you're reading the news you're just scrolling through them in you know, on something that's essentially a 2D thing, even though actually the scrolling just feels like a 1D interaction anyway. And so that's not because people were not imaginative enough with um, making news websites on the internet. I think it's a huge achievement that we have the internet um, and it's totally okay that some of its aspects just feel like... um, like, you know, it's just text that somebody essentially wrote on a piece of paper and I'm like reading through the scroll. Um, and and then there are some aspects like, oh, holy shit, there is a video embedded in this and now I can watch the same news as a video. And similarly, I'm going to be able to click on a thing and the website is going to have a 3D immersive part of it. And maybe that's the first step into looking at how VR can, you know, or I shouldn't say VR, I should be like spatial immersive experiences, right? Like how that yeah. spatial medium can can play a factor in um, in you, I don't know, reading your news or receiving attachments in your email. And you know what? Very often I'm going to be super okay if the messages that come in, I can just like quickly read in a sausage <laughs> and not... <laughs> have to like dive any deeper in some like 3d way yeah i think that i mean that that's a great example and a great great way of explaining things i really like the, the um want to say shopify spotify example because um like if i would take that further and say okay um kind of like 2d screens enabled something like spotify which wouldn't have been possible on like a um, you know old sc- like on a pen pen on paper basis yeah. or on a kind of um, very old you know terminal command line style. You I mean have, maybe, um, but not not as well. You could have printed yeah. a phone book. It's called the Spotify phone book, and yeah, exactly. every every number in it is a different song, and then you just call it on your telephone to listen to, or it. like a text message. <laughs> I mean, for example, like you know Shazam, which kind of like made this jump. No, they had this kind of like um, <laughs> where you called this number in the beginning, and then um, it listened to the sound, and then it texted you the song. Oh, really? Um, that's a, that's cool. Yeah, that's a cool hack. Yeah, that's how it started, and then like apps kind of like came along, and then uh, you you could just do it on your phone, which is yeah. much easier than you don't need to call. Um, anyways, I wanted to say, and then it's interesting to see what kind of new experiences or or new stuff that uh, that the spatial interfaces will enable that we today can't even think of probably, and will just emerge. Um, yeah, and I guess by, yeah. by people like you who just experiment and prototype and try out new things without you know, being afraid to kind of like, uh, okay, I just need to make money tomorrow or what if this doesn't work, you know, stuff like that. I think this is pretty cool. I do think that um, somebody has to kind of put like a base layer of of usefulness or like usability down so that people can start building on it. Um, 
I, you know, what I wanted to do with the ROS was to give a, and I kind of come back to this, to the word honest, because I think it's actually an important, um, it's an important word in this new space. Uh, I think there are quite a few explorations that are not really honest, right? It's, it's not honest to say, oh, you're going to wear these like really bulky AR glasses so that you can then swim with the jellyfish. It's not. You mean like a magic, <laughs> magic leap? Yeah, I'm not going to mention any names, but... Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, I of just, course not. I don't, you know, to me, that's not really an honest presentation of what you should be spending your money on and what you will find useful eventually. Yeah. You know, it's like if the company can't come up with, they're supposed to be the professionals at coming up with reasons why you would own this thing. It's basically, I mean, it's as simple as product market fit, right? You make a thing, it has a price, so it has to be X useful for it to make sense for people to buy so that they don't have like buyer's remorse. So many things I've seen are just explorations that completely disregard the fact that these should become products that actually kind of make sense in people's lives. Um, and so what I was trying to do was really do like make an honest, have an honest look at, even if it seems quote unquote boring, you know, but I just wanted to have an honest look at how could I replace my desktop operating system with this, knowing only the things that I know today, which is 2D apps exist, some 3D use cases might make sense, my input devices that are comfortable to use all day long are mouse and keyboard and not like having to lift my arms all day, you know? So, um, so it was just a very, you know, I just didn't want to do anything that I didn't really feel myself was like I could, you know, I could confidently defend. Um, and so I think it's going to need, I'm not saying it's going to need like people like me necessarily to kind of push this space forward. I'm just a, I'm also just a random guy, but I think it's going to, ultimately, it's going to need a kind of a larger effort, hopefully from companies to do the right things that are maybe um, unbiased and neutral enough so that it can become a playground for people to explore on top of that. You know, not making super biased, only very narrow chunks of experiences that then lead to more of similar um, experiences. Um, but really making something that's as fundamental as, yeah, kind of just a useful operating system. And then, you know what? If somebody wants to make an email client that interprets the emails that you get in a different, spatial, more exploratory way, and there's something there and people start liking it and people start expecting it from other apps, etc., that's how, right? Like, that's how the the innovation is going to happen. But it doesn't mean that the that the 2D default email client in the first place, that that's not viable. Because if, if it does only one thing, it's making your computer more useful, 
because honestly, like a computer that you can't check your emails on, you you can just like throw in the garbage anyway. And so, you know, um, not everything is like this completely siloed, isolated experience. You know, you still want to be able to check your messages while you do something else. And so we got to start somewhere. Um, and, you know, just as a quick anecdote, I thought one of the most interesting um, and, you know, disappointing, but it's like, I don't actually care so it's not really like disappointing but it's kind of like sad to see um reactions to vros that were very much you know um you know some people were very firmly in the camp of like what the fuck are you doing here um a mouse doesn't belong in vr 2d apps don't belong in vr you're just going you know you're just showing this is just a big screen that you can put your windows on blah 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 it's like Mm -hmm. well you might have like missed the nuance a little bit i guess because (laughs) you know and even if you understand that there is more potential in there because i'm also showing this like 3d use case and stuff and the collaborative aspects um but especially what you're missing is that, um, first of all, why the hell would you judge somebody for making something new in the medium that you're really excited about? Like, just like look at it, and if you think it's trashed, then make something else that's better. Or if you're somewhat inspired by it, just be inspired and and take some chunks of it and I don't know, like incorporate them into your thinking. Um, but Nobody has ever achieved anything by kind of the simple building blocks being shut down from the beginning. And and that's kind of what my exploration was all about. It's just simple yeah. building blocks to to have like a first look at something that, I don't know, I haven't seen anybody else publish. Yeah. Uh, man, that sucks that, you know, you need to read comments like that or that there are people out there like that um um, hopefully you know you don't take it too personally or doesn't doesn't deter you from continuing on exploring no not at all Um, Um, but i take it as the vr community is very passionate and so um yeah you know whatever it's like passion goes uh, comes in many ways um and um i by putting it out there I know that I already influenced people's thinking, whether it's for, you know, whether it's because they thought it was worth looking at more closely or whether it convinced them that it's a stupid idea. Either way, I moved the needle. So that's that's really exciting, right? That's how you make a change. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, That's pretty cool. I, yeah, I mean, as long as you can keep your, you know, it doesn't, uh, as long as it doesn't hurt your kind of like creativity or your passion for it, I think it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, um, maybe like a final, like a final topic I want to look at if, if that's fine. Yeah. I, I have all the time in the world today. I'm, good. I'm pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So maybe then 10 more topics. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. We'll just, do, we'll just do another episode later. Um, so um, you were talking about input devices and in VROS, you're proposing to use the mouse and the keyboard, <clears throat> um, which I guess makes sense because this is um, something that works and people are used to used to do it. And as you have shown, also works in VR um, reasonably well. 
looking into the future again, I like to talk about the future. What kind of new input devices do you think will emerge? Um, I know that, you know, like, I mean, voice is always something that comes up, although I'm not convinced by it personally. And then um, people have been toying around with like bracelets, stuff like that, or mm -hmm. kind of like um, gestures, you know, gestures mm -hmm. you make in the air with hand tracking or, or something like that. What, do, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, good, good question. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there's so many, right? Um, so let's, let's start talking about a few that are super obvious. Let's start with, with voice. Uh, one of the reasons why I don't necessarily, um, go to voice very much in my explorations, um, is because, um, voice is, how do I put this in the right way? Voice is very easy to prototype. Um, and you don't necessarily learn much because the hard part with voice is the recognition and the systems behind it, right? Um, it's all the, it's the understanding of how the system that, you know, exists, whatever, the voice recognition system that you're built, that you're working with. Um, it's a hugely complex machine that, you know, takes your your uh, the phrase that you were saying, chops it up, throws it in some magical machine learning, tries to understand, you know, what topics might you referring to, what is the context that you're in, all that kind of stuff to determine, okay, what are you actually trying to do here? And so um, that's so that's the first of all, that's like the hugely hard part with voice of course like just building the system in a good way um and i mean it's it's at a scale of like you know google company scale to to make it good <laughs> so uh, so i'm certainly not going to like bring much to the table like hello i'm a designer i studied industrial design and then i made a unity prototype you know it's like uh <laughs> you know um so I'm not like I'm not teaching anybody anything there, and um, so now um, an interface that I could dream up for voice is um, complete completely irrelevant. Sorry, completely irrelevant if it's not um, referencing the kind of constraints of the technical system that's behind it, right? I can always just go and say like, oh, you know. Um, show me, I don't know, show me the path to the last trash can that I saw, you know, as I was walking around in the park. It's like, it, and then doing that as a prototype, that's so easy. It's just like, I just have to say the words. And then as a UI, I'm just like going to make the words appear on the screen or whatever. That's And then, oh, magically, uh, you know, navigation appears in front of my feet. And then I just like step-by-step step walk on it. And it's like, I learned nothing because it's just it's it's always easy to just say it and then pretend like the system perfectly understood what you were saying. The hard part is making that system real and like having to make you deal with like all the errors and editing your utterance and uh you know just like all the things that are just like 
the thing knowing that you're recording, you know, that you're saying something to it is already hard enough, you know, but you can, in a prototype, it's so easy to pretend like it wor all works perfectly, that it's, that it's ultimately useless. You learn nothing. And instead, you're failing to tackle actual challenges that you might be able to, to learn something from or to bring something new to. Um, by all means, if you work at Google and, I don't know, Jeff Dean comes over and says, like, here's the perfect voice recognition UI. It understands everything. Now, like, make a couple of, like, cool experiences that you can think of to, like, test the limits of the system. Then, sure, I'm going to be like, all right, you know, show me whatever. Draw me a picture of this and then show me the path to the next 3D printer. And, uh, you know, but if yeah. it's just me in my garage... I just, yeah, that's kind of useless. So, um, right. and, you know, is voice going to be important in the future? Sure. If the systems get better, great. I have a, uh, you know, I have a complicated relationship with my smart speakers at home every day. So <laughs> I'm not seeing all of that stuff being like blow my mind amazing yet. Um, yeah. If we're talking about uh, hand tracking, right? Like what's really cool is that your hands you always have them with you so um and you can i don't know you can like do gestures with them and try to point out certain things etc like there's so many different modes that you can use your hands in um and i think it's it's definitely you know okay so our hands may be especially convenient for ar just because you have them with you all the time um but then you have very obvious limitations with hands when it comes to, okay, so how does the product that you're wearing, let, let's just assume you're wearing something on your face, right? Like whether it's in your home office or on the go, that thing is going to have a limited field of view to some certain extent when it comes to sensing where your hands are. So you got to move the mm -hmm. hands within that field of view. Um, I don't know, maybe is that comfortable all day long? You know, like, how long are the yeah. interactions that you can support with that? Um, how precise can the interactions be? Um, so, you know, I think there's no doubt that uh, using your hands for specific interactions is going to be really interesting. Um, again, it might be it might be very easy for me to just sit there and, um, you know, if I was to like make a fake prototype of something where I'm just Maybe I'm like wearing a GoPro on my head, you know, and I'm pretending, oh, this is an AR experience and here are my hands and I'm just doing, you know, this thing and it feels completely natural. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that that type of an exploration would actually be supported by a technology that anybody could actually build and have it run with battery and a lightweight form factor and so on and so on and so on, right? Um, and so... Um, I'd be super interested. I don't have, currently have a quest, but I'd be super interested to see what the limitations of their hand tracking are because it feels like a pretty kind of like put on and just get going type of, um, you know, platform to, to build on. Um, and I'd be really interested to see, okay, what could you actually do with hands when maybe you're not like just totally flopping around in your living room but what if you're sitting at a desk like what could you do with your hands that's maybe a bit more dedicated than than just like really big wave big motions you know um 
and you know what could you do there but do i necessarily want to lift my arm every time i want to move you know or i don't know i want to like put focus on my messaging window because i quickly want to i don't know input a reply i'm not even going to say type because who knows about keyboards right but um but i don't necessarily want to have to reach my arm over every time and i certainly don't want to use my hand when i'm trying to like i don't know retouch pixel perfectly maybe a photograph you know maybe like if i'm like trying to clone stamp something out in photoshop and i'm really trying to get like down to the pixel level of like making it look clear like clean i don't know if i think my hands are the right thing to use so ultimately the short answer is um just kind of like before when i was talking about which apps should be 2d or 3d it's just all depends right if you have a great idea a great use for your hands as an input device or a six degree freedom controller as an input device or the mouse as an input device it's okay if it's all of them i personally think um the reason why I used a mouse in VROS is because I do believe that it's the best input device right now to do desktop type work all day long. My hand is supported on the table. I'm making really limited, like the minimum amounts of motions. I can control anything from essentially from a distance. I don't have to, you know, my shoulder doesn't get tired from it. I just, um, it's everybody knows how to use it. That's of course a, a huge plus. Um, and so, I mean, whether it's a trackpad or a mouse, it doesn't matter, right? Like ultimately, that's the, the idea is the same. Um, and um, you know, I I really stand behind the fact that that's you know that that's great. You know what? You can just let your mouse sit there. And it's not going to move on its own, right? Your pointer is not going to move away because you put the mouse down. That's one way that it's very different from a six-degree freedom controller, for example, right? Like the six-degree controller, you can hardly put down without, you know, unless it has like I don't know, you have to press the trigger to move move the pointer, but then then you got to do more work just when you want to point at things, right? A mouse has great precision, has great um, stability. Um, it's tricky when it comes to very natural motions that really have like a human feel to it but that's not really necessary in a lot of the applications that we use right um and so uh i think the hardest probably one of the harder challenges is going to be uh finding ways to make um you're, you know you're not going to be caring if sorry let me say that again um if uh, one of the hardest challenges is going to be if AR becomes totally prevalent and we're talking about AR glasses that you're wearing on your face, finding good ways of interacting with content, whatever that content might be, because that's another huge question, right? What is AR actually going to be about? Um, because like having the news float in front of you while you're walking down the sidewalk maybe that's actually not that comfortable to read or convenient or safe or or desirable uh, desirable and but if 
AR becomes a big thing, and I'm pretty sure that it's going to become a big thing because we're going to figure out what's interesting in AR for sure. How to interact with all that content, that's going to be a really interesting um, challenge because you do have your hands, but we do know the limitations of hand interactions. And then the question is like, can you somehow supplement that with something that maybe gives you more even privacy in how you what you're doing right now you know you might not want everybody that you're sitting on the bus with to know that you're currently grabbing some floating thing in front of you Um, (laughs) you're like in the bus (laughs) exactly you're just like why is this guy doing swimming motions right now like um and so yeah so i think i mean it's all Super interesting, and I took the easy way by doing a desktop-style exploration and using mouse and keyboard. Um, but I also just thought, you know, nobody had tried that before, so so what's the harm? No, that's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I really interesting. I agree, like because it's interesting if you talk to people. I mean, especially like people who are not designers or not very familiar with like new tech technologies in general you know always this kind of minority report comes to mind where you where they with interact with hands with everything or like voice kind of like works perfectly and but even with voice you know you don't if you if you're again if you're in a public space you don't want to Talk, yeah, you don't want others to hear what you're saying to your your yeah. AR headset, or even if you're at home, maybe you know you don't want to disturb your partner or whatever by by talking all the time. So, so you know, all these new kind of like fancy ways of interacting do have drawbacks that, like a simple keyboard and mouse, just solves perfectly, or even like a touch screen solves perfectly. Um, so, so. Um, yeah, but but as you said, I think then the interesting thing w- will be what new ways of interactions will we see with those input modes, basically. Because um, if you talk about those new input modes, we always try to apply it to the stuff that we do today. And then, okay, well, it's worse, but what will it enable, right? That's yeah. also very interesting. And that's, of course, that's impossible to foresee. But um, I guess we'll just we'll just see when it happens. Yeah, I, yeah, totally. Um, I, you know, I mean, we haven't even talked about how can your phone work as a touch surface could work together with the AR glasses that you're wearing, right? Stuff like that. Like, we there's so many there's so many different things that we kind of have to look at, and and also absolutely we have to have some reasonable hypothesis of what is this stuff going to be usable, useful for? Um, I mean, right now I can really, there's not many use cases I can kind of enumerate where I think AR glasses that you're wearing all day long are really kind of so super essential, right? If you com- Especially if you compare them to, um, if you say, okay, I have my smartphone, you gotta. I mean, you basically you have to like draw up a diagram for what can your smartphone already do, what does it do really well, and why, and then what do let's say AR glasses actually bring to the table, where 
that even where it improves on these things in a meaningful way um, or where it just does them as well but maybe less good or you know where it's like mind-blowing new opportunities and if you just think about the properties of your phone how it's actually a feature that you can that it's enclosed in a in a rectangle that you can put away that you can kind of defocus from that you don't necessarily have to wear on your face so you're more flexible with how you actually how it impacts your kind of physical experience um the fact that you can touch it the fact that you can you know use it as a really precise input device etc so, uh, etc right it can already do a lot of things really well on the go all day long now what is what are wearable ar glasses going to bring that actually improve on those things and not just do them as well and differently and you can swim with the jellyfish you know how uh, and and so we got to come up with like such a big challenge right now is what is an actually well-reasoned hypothesis for why you would do some of these things kind of while you know why do you need to be immersed in them or why do they have to be somehow spatially arranged around you um why you know and how does that help the first one is of course like um like navigation is such a total no-brainer that that's going to hugely improve if it can really be anchored in the kind of the on top of the physical space around you like there's absolutely no question that everybody's understanding of their surroundings or their of like a navigation challenge is going to be improved by just seeing it using like not having to make this um kind of translation from the 2d abstraction on your phone into the 3d space around you so Okay, so we have maps, you know? Okay, what is the second one? And I'm already struggling on the second one, you know? Because it's not actually that, you know, the news don't have to be anchored necessarily in your 3D space. Your messages, you're totally fine if your messages are not showing up in like a 3D spatial, you know, way. Because why, you know, why would they have to? Um, I can I can absolutely imagine why they could. Don't get me wrong, right? But I don't know whether that's a kind of like a fun little experiment or whether that's really something that kind of is like blow my mind improvement on the experience. Um, and so. I mean, under use case, probably is also kind of like if you if you're, I don't know if you're um, furniture shopping, for example, mm -hmm. and want to see does this fit in here. And I know that you know phone based AR apps do it, but it's just not. I mean, I'm not totally convinced or mind blown by phone based AR. Um, or you know, if you're doing like interior design or architecture mm -hmm. stuff like that, I think AR have do have cool use cases. Uh, I think you're right, um, uh, and but I also think that um, there it becomes already 
much trickier to see where exactly on the spectrum between um, kind of useful and um, expensive that those use cases sit, right? Because like the furniture shopping example, which clearly has emerged as one, like the absolute go-to use case for like phone or tablet-based AR right now. Like that's the, that's kind of this like, home run that everybody's like saying like look how useful this is and yes but there is a you know there is a usefulness how often and how much money are you willing to spend for that amount of usefulness and the same way that maps you don't need to navigate that often actually with um you know in a way where you know, maybe you're sitting in your car and you have like a navigation, like a built-in navigation thing anyway, right? So when you're just walking around, um, then, you know, like how often do you really need navigation? Even if it's once a day, once a day, that's still, uh, you know, a lot of money for a new um, for a new device that might you might have to purchase on top of the other devices that you already have because it doesn't replace everything, right? And so furniture shopping, definitely not something that you do every day all the time and so um that doesn't necessarily make it a viable product yet right and so you um the the challenge right now is really coming up with like what is like a critical mass of actual like honest use cases that we believe people would say okay if it can do these things in total i would pay money for this even if it's on top of the other devices that I already own, because maybe I still can't replace certain things with it, or it just has to be inexpensive enough to, um, you know, to where it's easier to just kind of say like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to buy this because it seems kind of cool. And hopefully over the course of the years, it's going to really become useful. Um, but then of course, price point is almost at the exact opposite end of capabilities when we're talking about uh, these types of like AR wearable, extremely miniaturized, super complicated when it comes to optics and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it's such an interesting, tricky, um, tricky problem. And, um, but as you know, a AR is such a such a promising field. Um and but it's also really important to be just like super honest about okay, where are we? And do we can you convince yourself that this is something that you would buy and why would you buy it? You know? And I think if if more people thought about it thoroughly, they'd be like, Well, you know what? Currently I can't see it yet. So I really need we really need some people to like come up with really really new ways of of i don't know thinking about software and experiences and yeah i think that on that you know that that honesty point that you mentioned is, is super important especially for people who get you know like excited quickly by new tech um such as myself um and and in the end, it needs to, you know, needs to bring some value that you otherwise wouldn't have, um, because yeah, as you said, otherwise people won't be ready to to pay for it. And yeah, I mean, probably it's 
it just maybe like a final point with the phone, you know, like let's say the smartphone came out and in the beginning, I guess most people, what most people did already do is text messages and phone calls mm. and 99% of time spent on their phone, on their first iPhone, maybe was the same. And, but it also had like internet browser, yeah. but no one had really like data. So at home, you maybe didn't use it because to browse the internet, there were no mobile ready websites, you know, it wasn't that useful. But then um, kind of like started adding up. And mm -hmm. I guess with like AR and VR headsets, we'll see similar use cases, you know. Um, for, for example, like I have the Quest and you should, you should absolutely get the Quest. I think it's a huge difference to, mm -hmm. to PC-based VR. Um, um, it's, 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 it's crazy. Um, so like I bought it because I was just interested in gaming. Um, I don't game a lot as you have like almost no time. But then I also discovered like the, the fitness use case for it. Like mm -hmm. there are a couple of fitness apps or even games that, you know, double as fitness apps. And especially during the quarantine, you know, we just have an hour of cardio in VR. I could never bring myself to work out at home before, you know, mm -hmm. just wasn't motivated. But with VR, I'm doing it. And I know that a lot of other people also also doing it. You know, you kind of like fitness emerged as this new use case for VR that before getting before getting a headset, I would have never thought thought yeah. of it. So, yeah, I don't know. Just like an example, like a small anecdote too. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's it's uh, a, an interesting point. It's like, of course, there is the other there is that other side where you say, okay, if you manage to put enough weight behind a platform, interesting use cases will emerge as long as you stick with it. Like as long as the company that puts out this platform sticks with it and can financially make it through maybe a slow start or whatever, as long as you have that, um, people will find, uh, and I would also totally not have predicted that fitness becomes like a viable thing on a quest because my intuition would have been like, oh, you know, why do you want to dance around with like a weight on your face? But <laughs> I guess the you know like as the quest gets lighter and you know as the the experiences get in more and more engaging, you don't you don't care and and that's cool and it's awesome that that's like a you know that's a, a totally new experience that wasn't possible before. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you know, I kind of internally in my head, I always go back to um, the example of. Um, like I can admit to myself that I, I don't really understand why some things become trends sometimes. Like I don't think that anybody can always explain or see everything coming, right? Um, and the same way that I don't always understand why um, a TV show becomes successful and popular, I don't uh, either understand why um, a new app becomes almost the equivalent of a, an interesting TV show. It's mostly entertainment, right? Like let's say TikTok, right? It's mostly, it's entertainment for people who are not necessarily me, which is totally fine. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily like, I'm, I'm trying to understand it a little bit, but I don't have to like super get into it. Anyway, I could see, you know, the same way that I would have not necessarily, like I wouldn't have been the guy to come up with TikTok Maybe I'm also not the guy who's going to come up with 
the TikTok of AR, let's say. The thing that suddenly you, the software, the app that you have to run on your AR glasses all day long because otherwise you're out of the loop. Whatever that is, right? Whatever it might be to, maybe it's teenagers. Maybe it's, I don't know who, you know, what the exact group of people would be. But maybe it's, maybe there will be experiences that are so fundamentally um, native to the fact that they are now a layer on top of everything else. Um, that if you take off your glasses, you're inevitably immediately missing out. And so, and when people meet up, they're going to be like, oh, did you see this happen, right? Like, maybe it's like a Fortnite-style connected experience where everybody experiences the same thing at the same time. And if you don't wear your glasses, you miss out and people talk about it and you don't have anything to talk about with them. And, you know, like, that's, that's kind of the thing that I often come back to as an exercise for myself where I, I kind of pull myself back from thinking too much in the kind of in the usefulness area in the, you know, just, just being delighted and entertained and, uh, and almost occupied in a way can, can, that has its own right of existence. And, um, and hopefully we will have the platforms eventually so that people can build the experiences that will then maybe even surprisingly to themselves will catch on and suddenly become a thing. And then like a new platform is like, is running. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's so hard to predict. And in the end, um, it's, it's, you know, in, in hindsight, they're like, yeah, okay, well, this happened, but, but at, at that time, it's really hard to say. And I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. Um, yeah, I mean, Matthias, I think there are so many topics here in my notebook that I want to cover, but um, I guess uh, we'll cut it um, now at this point and um, we can talk hopefully again do like, like a, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. do a second episode in a couple of months. Um, you know, maybe I'm curious to see um, what Apple announces regarding the their VR headset or AR headset. We'll see, maybe. Could be a good point to to come back to the show and talk about that a little bit um, towards the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Not even. laughs> um, but you know, anyways, um, I just want to thank you for your time, and um, hopefully, you enjoyed it also as oh, much totally. as I did. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm so. I mean, I don't actually, you know, because I am just kind of in my garage. I don't actually talk too much about. Um, these topics to to uh, you know other people most of the people that I know they work in um, you know in big companies and you know can't necessarily talk too much about you know yeah. pretty much anything <laughs> so <laughs> um, so uh, yeah no this was this was really fun I'm uh, I'm super excited um, you know even if some people think that I'm I'm um, just trying to have like old school make old school experiences happen on vr and ar um <laughs> i'm i'm super excited about the platforms and um yeah i'm i'm really excited to see you know for me it's like ar i don't know maybe that's still like much further out who knows but i'm really especially excited to see 
what might happen when people start building smaller headsets, lighter headsets that I enjoy wearing longer throughout the day um, to use for work, new kinds of work, new kinds of creative expressions and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think for, especially for VR, I think ergonomics needs to be one of the pain points that needs to be resolved to enable those kind of experiences, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, You know, um, again, you know, fuck the haters. Keep working on VROS. (laughs) I think it's great. I'm looking forward to your updates. (laughs) And I'll uh, um, I'll try to get a couple more out before, I don't know, if if I end up, you know, working for a bigger company as well. I don't know how many updates yeah. I'm going to be able to publish. So right. let, let me, I'll, I'll try to push a few more things out. Uh, some more cool. lengthy YouTube videos with yeah, explanations. Nice. Cool. Awesome.